Hey there, and welcome to Inside Intercom. This is a show where we explore how to build better products and businesses through conversations with leaders in the worlds of design, product management, startups, marketing, and more. This week's guest actually checks a whole lot of those boxes. That's Zach Anisco, CEO at Dribble. If you're a designer, Dribble needs no introduction. But in short, it's a top global design community for sharing creations and finding work. Zach's had an interesting career journey. He started as a product designer before moving over to product management. From there, Zach found his way into growth, most notably leading growth strategy at Creative Market, a global marketplace for design content that would go on to be acquired by Autodesk. Today at Dribble, he's looking after a company that was bootstrapped for years before being acquired in 2017 and was already profitable too. All the while, Dribble has remained invite-only and hasn't required any traditional marketing to get the word out. This is a unique combination of attributes. And in this episode, Intercom's Director of Brand Design, Stuart Scott Curran, a podcast favorite, sits down with Zach to learn more about them. You'll hear about the ways Zach's design roots came to help him in his days as a growth marketer. A lot of marketers fall into the, the trap of A-B testing copy or a photo or, you know, and then hoping for this dramatic lift to happen, you know, in whatever their KPI they're working on. But the great way that, you know, designers solve problems is that we tend to think divergently, you know, so great designers have the ability to think outside of constraints of, of what's already there, scrap it and come up with something completely new. The striking overlap between design strategies and the frameworks companies use today to drive growth. I mean, ultimately, you know, building growing products comes down to people, you know, and design thinking at its core is about approaching product design from a human-centric lens. And same thing with growth marketing. It's very similar in, in kind of the ideologies. And how Dribble's gated approach has helped the team manage its user expansion. In the early days, the invite system was a means of actually controlling growth from happening too fast. We've begun to make improvements to the experience. You know, we're starting to experiment with how invites are allocated. We're, we're giving more to more engaged folks on the platform. If you like what you hear from Zach and want to check out more Inside Intercom episodes, we've now published more than 100 conversations. And to make sure you don't miss the great guests we've got in the pipeline, subscribe to the show on iTunes or follow us on Spotify. All right, enough from me. Let's hop in the studio and join Intercom Stuart Scott Curran, who's on the line with Dribbles Zach and Isco. You're listening to Inside Intercom. Intercom, making internet business personal at scale. Learn more at intercom.com. Zach, welcome to Inside Intercom. To set things up, perhaps you can just give us a quick feel for your career to date and what it was that led you to joining Dribble as CEO. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, so I'm, you know, I've been with Dribble now about a year and a half. And previously to that, I was at Hired.com and then Creative Market before that and, and spent some time at Autodesk after the acquisition there. And, and have a long history of uh, working in miscellaneous startups, either in the creative space or kind of in the recruitment space. I've known Dan and Rich for for many years. We Creative Market was a sponsor of Dribble, and uh, we used to do South by Southwest parties together. And anyway, when I when I heard that there was a a, a role open for CEO, threw my hat in the ring, and and here I am. So thinking back to Dribble in its earliest days. That was really, it was fundamentally a, a place to post work in progress and get feedback on your work. It was always based on the fact of what what are you working on? And over time, it's it's become a little bit more of a mixed platform, it seems. A lot of people are, are using that almost as their 
portfolio now. And it seems like you've em- embraced that a little bit by adding features like Playbook. So I'm wondering what drove that change. And on a more broad level, how do you see the Dribble community shaping the tool that you're building or vice versa? Like, how does the tool shape the, the community itself? Yeah, so, you know, Dribble has always been the place, you know, where you answer the question, you know, what are you working on? Dan Cederholm, our co-founder, recently spoke at a conference and said, you know, some of his early shots were of like random non-design things like, hey, I'm like making a keynote file and it was not very cool. And But it's really the early community folks who started taking, you know, that zoomed in shot of, of larger works in progress and really kind of being this snapshot, this moment in time. But over the years, the communities kind of, you know, as communities do, they evolve. And, you know, we've seen more more folks posting polished and finished work and using Dribbble as their portfolio. Playbook came out in, in like 2016 or so after many years of, you know, us kind of watching this evolution. And, and the feature was really just a reaction to what we saw in the community. A lot of the features in Pro are features that we've been reactionary to requests we've had from the community. We've when I joined the community like a year and a half ago, we uh, you know, we asked the team, what's the number one feature the community is asking for? And they said an iOS app. Mm-hmm. I said, great, let's go give them an iOS app. The the past year of you know investing in mature analytics, we built out a business intelligence team. We have millions of users with analytics. It's clear to see aggregate trends towards business opportunities and, and things that we should be building. But that said, like we spent a lot of time talking to the Dribbble community and asking them about their experience in the platform and asking how you know we could only improve. And, and one of these investments we're making is is actually forking out our internal design team to carve out a proper user experience uh, research function. And, and so, you know, we're, we're constantly listening to the community and, and really shaping Dribble, you know, based on their feedback. The Dribble community really is quite passionate and, and quite vocal. I've certainly seen evidence of that by them being very self-organizing. They've yeah. always organized their own Dribble meetups. How does your team think about and navigate any change of version there when you're when you're introducing those new features or concepts? I think human beings are naturally resistant to change, but you know one of the things I love about the design community is that people are are super passionate and therefore, you know, for the most part, very positive and, and supportive. We get a lot of positive response for stuff we roll out. The bigger releases usually have an associated shot from the dribble team or or a blog post. And so we read the comments and and people are very vocal on Twitter and we're releasing small features and functionality changes, you know, almost daily. Many are missed, you know, from the community, but, you know, we get lots of feedback. But ultimately, we have an amazing community team who manages our social and support channels and, yep. and reports feedback, bugs and other issues, you know, back to the product team. But yeah, I mean, we don't always get it right, but we're very sensitive to user mm-hmm. sentiment and, mm-hmm. you know, having conversations with folks, you know, to understand the perspective. And so what Dribble has obviously been around for a number of years now. But one of the most fascinating things for me is is the fact that it began as invite only. And now, after almost a decade, it's still invite only. A lot of companies take a gated approach like that in, in the early days, but then open it up as they begin to chase growth. But Dribble hasn't done that. And I was wondering if you could give us some insight into the, the thinking behind that strategy. You know, in the early days, the the invite system was a means of actually controlling growth from happening too fast. You know, the team was just Dan and Rich for the first couple of years. And, you know, even starting the beginning of last year, we were 
only eight people on the team. You know, now we're over 30 or whatever, and we can we can afford to grow a little bit faster. But we have like hundreds of thousands of designers who are, you know, on, the, on our prospects, you know, waiting list. We'd love mm-hmm. to, to be able to dip in them a little faster and be more inclusive. But that said, you know, we don't have plans to remove the, the invite system anytime soon. It's kind of become part of Dribble. We've begun to make improvements to the experience. You know, we're starting to experiment with how invites are allocated. We're, we're giving more to more engaged folks in the platform than how things were previously allocated. We're, we're also, we've made improvements to the prospect experience as well. So now prospects can upload samples of their work that, that are only viewable from the drafting page. So that makes it much easier for players who have invites to find amazing designers to let in. But yeah, I mean, I, you know, eventually I, I'd love to open up Dribble and, and be more inclusive to everyone, but you know, one day at a time. The, you know, the other side of the, the coin is that, you know, while we've been invite only, there are tons of invites in the ecosystem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's a lot of designers who, who aren't choosing to, to invite yeah. folks in. Yeah. But the, the after effect is that we, you know, we have a pretty high bar of quality, which is great. So it's kind of a give and take. And so with such a, a selective user base, how do you think about monetization at Dribble? Do you have to be more selective about how and when to, to charge for, for new features? Well, we're a community first. You know, it's our job to continue to add value back to the community. You know, that said, the community is made up of different people and personas who come to Dribble for different reasons. And, you know, these different personas have different needs that require different different products. And so, you know, that's kind of informed our, our roadmap. And obviously we have, you know, a few different revenue streams sprinkled in from subscriptions to advertising to hiring solutions. Mm-hmm. You know, we're we're ultimately we're on a mission to to build the world's best platform for designers and creative professionals to gain inspiration and feedback and education and community. And ultimately, job opportunities. But yeah, we're really we're really about the community first, and, and really putting that mission first and foremost. And you know, the business models kind of fall after we've hopefully done a good job delivering value to the community. Absolutely. And so, with that said, Dribble is profitable, which is which is fantastic. Yeah. But you've never really done that much marketing in the traditional sense. It does seem like a lot of the of the growth has been organic. I'm wondering what the biggest levers for growth that you've been able to pull are, particularly when it is a selective user base and, and not just anyone can can sign up. Yeah, I mean, it's it's truly been organic. It's been word of mouth to date. There's never been a focus on marketing or growth. Uh, we have just this year started to build out a growth function internally, and that's really looking at the community holistically. We brought an SEO as a function. Mm-hmm. We've, we've hired a, you know, a PR agency to help us get the brand recognizable outside of just the dribble, you know, kind of design sphere. We've just started to, to start, you know, thinking about content marketing, but, but all these things are very much in their infancy and we're just kind of kicking them off. So yeah, I mean, to date it's, it's been this organic side project of Dan and Riches that have just, just, you know, grown wings and, and spun out of control over the years and, and just taken off. So yeah, we feel we feel really bullish that as we start to invest in SEO and content marketing and some of these other kind of traditional marketing, that's just going to yeah. you know add fuel on the fire and, and help us get dribble in a, in a much wider audience. And thinking about this community first mentality, it seems like one of the most well known ways that Dribble grows and extends its brand is through those community sponsored meetups. And I'm wondering how much or, or little involvement does the team on your end have with those? 
And what's the desired outcome there? Yeah, I mean, we really have very little involvement. So this was, you know, something we saw happening organically in the community. You know, designers were, were meeting up in person and, you know, grabbing beers and just talking shop. And we've since then developed a platform and that allows folks to send reminders and, and RSVPs and, and be able to tap into the, the community to get folks out to meetups. But, you know, with the exception of some larger events like at South by Southwest or, or corporate meetups, for instance, like, like at Adobe or Dropbox's HQ, we've, we've mostly stayed out of the way besides, you know, being the platform to bring designers together in real life. You know, today we have meetups. I mean, there's meetups all over the world, tens of thousands of designers meeting up in, in person. It's really cool. We we do have a, um, a person on the team who sends out meetup kits to the hosts. So, you know, those include dribble stickers, buttons, pencils, notepads, this sort of thing. And for some of the, you know, the bigger events, we, we up the swag and, and we'll maybe work with sponsors to, you know, to add prizes and things like that. But, but yeah, for the most part, we stayed out of the way and it's been this purely community run thing. And what's been interesting is that, you know, you've you've also begun growing the, the Dribble brand and experience through your own hang time events. I'm wondering, like, how those differ from the more grassroots and community level events and, and what you think you can do with those that, that maybe you can't do with the with the smaller, more locally organized events. You know, hang time's origin started with the growth of our internal team last year, more than you know, tripled the size of our team and we're, we're remote. So we're all distributed all over North America and the UK. And what we decided is we wanted to get the team together in person at least twice a year to get some face time. And so we, we originally were like, well, we could just get people together. We'll have like an offsite. You know, we thought about doing like a happy hour meetup of our own, inviting the local community. And then that quickly evolved to like, hey, let's do like a mini design conference. You know, we can rent out a venue. We can invite amazing designers to come out and speak and tell their story and teach workshops. And, you know, so now, you know, hang time is very much, it's pretty different than a, than a dribble meetup, which might be, you know, an hour or two after work at, at a bar or at somebody's office. We've only done two of these now, but we're one and we have another one coming up soon. But it's a lot of planning. We're doing a full day of lectures and talks. We'll do food, drinks, sponsor booths, there's swag, there's prizes, it's this whole thing. And it's a lot of fun, and, and we have a blast planning it and, and participating in it. But yeah, we just did our first hang time in Boston last fall. Sold out. Had a blast. Um, and then we have another one coming up in, in May in Seattle, and then we'll we'll be in Los Angeles in October. But it's it's great. We got some superstar designers, and we're super fortunate to have some really great speakers coming out. And and uh, yeah, it's it, it's a it's a lot of fun, and, and more of a mini design conference than than a meetup. Just before we continue with today's episode, I wanted to let you know that episode two of Offscript, our new series of candid conversations with Intercom, all about the extraordinary AI-driven transformation we're currently experiencing, is out now on YouTube. Here's a teaser featuring our chief product officer, Paul Adams, discussing AI-first customer service. The best place for me to start is that technology only moves in one direction. Once you go through these like before-after moments, you never go back. AI has clearly already shown us that it can help in transformational ways. It has given us a new way to do customer service. And that new way is AI first. The business that provides incredible customer service is the business that will win. And the earlier that people lean into this completely new mindset, the earlier they can deliver this incredible holy grail type customer experience, 
It's a huge opportunity for businesses to literally change how people think about them. It's just a matter of time. That's all to come on episode two of Offscript. You can watch it on Intercom's YouTube channel right now and we'll bring you audio versions of the episodes right here. Now, back to today's episode. On the topic of growth, you know, the company's growing, the community's growing. You're of the opinion that a lot of the thinking and frameworks that startups use for growth today is actually quite similar to the creative yeah. strategies that, that designers use. That that sounds like a really interesting comparison. I'd, I'd love it if you could expand on that a little bit. Yeah, sure. I mean, ultimately, you know, building and growing products comes down to people, you know, and design thinking at its core is about approaching product design from a human-centric lens. And same thing with growth marketing. It's very similar in, in kind of the ideologies. You know, the framework around design thinking is, you know, really around understanding the user problem and there's explore ideas and prototype and you materialize those, those ideas through user tests and finally you launch your thing. But at any given time, you kind of go back and reiterate, you know, any of those steps in that framework. And this is very similar to, you know, Eric Reese's Lean Startup framework. Mm-hmm. The difference is that he builds in code, you know, then you measure test through data and, you know, A-B testing. And then you learn, you come up with new ideas and kind of rinse and repeat. So kind of very two separate things of or two very similar frameworks for, you know, understanding a problem, testing that thing, and then, you know, launching it and getting it in front of people. The difference is like, you know, with modern prototyping tools, it's much easier and faster than ever before to get a prototype in front of users, you know, things like Envision and, and things like this. And but typically that sample is really small when you put your, you know, this design or this this mock-up in front of somebody. Prototypes and code. You know, let's just get an MVP out the door, you know, can reach more more people and can gain statistical significance. You know, so getting feedback from a single user is, uh, is an opinion of one. Mm-hmm. But getting an aggregated signal from, you know, a multivariate test or, or whatever, you understand, you know, the what is happening, but not really the why. So, like, with one, you have, you know, you don't really have, like, you have one, one kind of opinion. And the other one is, like, you're only seeing one piece of the puzzle. And so I believe, you know, once designers can adopt both of these approaches, you know, which are now being taught in like Stanford Business School and other MBA programs, you know, they'll have a much more accurate understanding of users and a true understanding of the product problems they're looking to solve. And so as someone who's very much a creative person and a, and a designer by trade, but who's also built, led and, and ultimately sold some startups. What aspects of your days designing proved most valuable when you when you moved to uh, leadership roles? Yeah, so I think my foundation in design has been, you know, tremendously valuable in my career. I started my career as a web designer and, and have a design degree and then moved into product management and growth roles over the last 15 years or so. But, you know, in these PM roles and, and growth roles, I've continued to wireframe and create prototypes to quickly communicate product ideas to my team, you know, the speed at which I could visualize these tools, like in Photoshop and, and whatever other design tools, meant that I could get these ideas in front of the, the product team much quicker than writing a brief and, and, you know, kind of running the whole cycle. So we've been able to move much faster, you know, over the years with somebody kind of in a leadership role, being able to roll up the sleeves and get my hands dirty, for lack of better words. But yeah, I mean, when I look back, at, you know, some of the biggest wins in my career, they've been product design solutions. Mm-hmm. You know, product managers and growth marketers have a tendency to try to, you know, solve problems mm-hmm. convergently, you know, by changing 
aspects about what is already there in the product. You know, a lot of marketers fall into the, the trap of A-B testing copy or a photo or, you know, and then hoping for this dramatic lift to happen, mm-hmm. you know, in whatever their KPI that they're working on. But the great way that, you know, designers solve problems is that we tend to think divergently, you know, so great designers have the ability to think outside of constraints of, of what's already there, scrap it and come up with something completely new and, and come up with, you know, a brand new direction or solution to, to solve a problem. And w- one thing that I wanted to, to touch upon here is something that definitely seems to be an ongoing topic of conversation within the, the design community. And, and that's the concept of completely in-house teams versus remote teams. And I know that your team at Dribble is is in, in, entirely remote. So I'm interested in, first of all, like what the thinking was behind the, the decision to, to be fully remote. And then also, what are the pros and cons that you see with that? Yeah, so the team was remote. From day one, so when I joined, it was as a remote team, and I'm a firm believer in remote being the way that working on the internet should be. You know, I remember in the mid '90s watching that Sandra Bullock movie, The Net, and she's like on a laptop, you know, hacking from a beach somewhere. You know, our head of product is going to Bali this summer, and we'll be working from the beach this summer. You know, it's taken me 20 years to kind of realize that we're able to to actually do this and have, you know, effective, efficient teams working from anywhere in the world, but it's taken the bandwidth to catch up, it's taking our tools to catch up, but now we're seeing 100% distributed teams grow to to huge sizes, teams like Automatic and Envision and Buffer, teams that are proven that the model can work well. We're still small at 30 people, but you know our team already, we can see that we, we just work much more efficiently remotely and, and get so much more work done than you know, when I was working in a corporate office, you know, there's, there's, you're free from distraction. I have no more commute. I could start the day at the beginning of the day when my brain is fresh and, and some of the best ideas are blossoming. I have a much more flexible schedule, which means more time with my kids and my family. And that's important for the entire Dribble team. A lot of us have families and are involved in, in school and sports with our kids. So having that freedom and flexibility is, is super important. And really is looked at as like a benefit, a perk to the rest of the team. And it's actually been amazing to recruit for. Like people want to work in this environment. So yeah, I mean, and also, you know, a distributed team helps save the company money, you know, so we don't have to pay 3x to 10x the national averages to hire a rent office space in San Francisco or New York. So yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of benefits on the, on the con side. You know, it's not for everybody. So we tend to look for you know, self-starters, motivated people. And, you know, some people are like five Xers by when they work from home and they work remotely. Other people get distracted by the sunshine or the backyard or the TV or whatever. And so we try to screen those folks out. But for the most part, it's it's been great. In the time that I've had it at Dribble, we've, I think maybe one person has left and it was more just a mis- mismatch in role than, than culture. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay, so save the the easiest question for last, um, and that is, yeah. what's the biggest strategic challenge facing Dribble moving forward right now, and how are you aiming to to solve for that? Yeah, there's there's not much keeping me up at night worrying about strategy or, or challenges to the business. You know, I I'm just mostly just very excited about the potential for Dribble and and all the great things that that we can do to further support the design community and the profession. Yeah, I mean, while we've been in business for nearly a decade, 
you know, I feel like we're, we're very much in our infancy as a business. Last year was, we had some pretty huge inflection points. Uh, we, well, we tripled the size of our internal team, but we also more than doubled our user base and, and more than doubled our, our annual revenue. So we're, we're kind of getting our, our momentum. There's wind in our cells. So, so stay tuned. Lots of uh, new good stuff coming to Dribble soon. Well, I can't wait to see it. We're big fans of the of the platform here at Intercom. Our design team obviously has its has its own page, and we always love posting on there and and seeing what all of the other teams are, are are up to. So, so thank you so much for everything that you're doing to help bring the design community closer together. Thank you so much for for being on the podcast, Zach. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you. You've been listening to the Inside Intercom podcast. For more episodes, visit soundcloud.com slash intercom. If you'd like to subscribe, search for Inside Intercom in iTunes or Stitcher. And for even more great content, check out blog.intercom.com.